You've got to just love what you're doing. Believe in it. Hello, lovely. Welcome back to the Wild Business Growth Podcast. This is your place to hear from a new entrepreneur every single Wednesday morning who's turning wild ideas into wild growth. I'm your host, Max Brandstetter, founder and podcast producer of Max Podcasting. And you can email me at max at maxpodcasting.com to save time with your high-quality podcast. This is episode $275 footlong. And today's guest, it actually is guess. It actually is guess. If that grammar is correct, you <laughs> Sayonara, Max. Today's guests are David Greshler and Jonah Friedel, co-founders of Nomad Go. Now, imagine if you were able to count your inventory using your iPad, holding it up, and it automatically identifies the objects, gives you the total of how much of each product there is. This is what Nomad Go is doing, and it involves computer vision and spatial intelligence. In this episode, we talk how in the world all that stuff works, what it can mean for restaurants and other businesses where inventory is so key, and even a little, maybe true, maybe not so true, history of Costco. It is David and Jonah. Enjoy the Nomad Go show. Alrighty, we are here with David Greshler and Jonah Friedel, co-founders, dynamic duo uh, behind Nomad Go, uh, which I think I just pronounced wrong, Nomad Go. But uh, one, one of the coolest companies that you'll come across, one of the coolest I've ever come across. And so we're going to get into all things computer vision and AR and inventory and, and that world today. But uh, before that, would love to touch on your backgrounds. And, and even before that, would love to welcome you to the show. David, Jonah, how are you guys doing today? Thanks for joining. Doing great. Thanks for having us. Yeah. Yeah, of course. Of course. As a little precursor to your entrepreneurial journey with Nomad Go. So David, would love to start with you. I know that you know you you've been a serial entrepreneur for quite some time, and and one of those notably, Softricity, which I love the name, was ultimately acquired by Microsoft, which is I'm sure we could do a whole separate podcast, incredible story by itself. But what what was the biggest thing you learned from that? I will say shockingly cool, Softricity journey and the acquisition by Microsoft. It all comes down to you know product market fit. I think the thing I learned mostly is you really need to come up with a product that people absolutely need because they feel so much pain and you're there to fix their pain. And we did at that time, it was the internet had just come out in the late nineties and people were still distributing software in enterprises, you know, using CDs and DVDs. It was very painful. They were literally going from machine to machine. And every time they wanted to update, they had to do that. So very painful, very time consuming, labor intensive. Um, what we did was make it available over the internet. And I know that sounds trite now, but all good ideas become very trite if they're really good. Because we were, you know, at that time, Windows was running on 95% of all computers. Um, we, we wrote it for Microsoft Windows. And so they saw that 
that pain was something that they wanted to, uh, you know, fix for their customers. And so it was a really good match. And I would say that Nomad Go fits this profile exactly the same way because there is so much pain out there around counting inventory. You know, from the dawn of time, people have been using their fingers to count. Today, in the world's largest companies, restaurants, grocery stores, they're still using their fingers to count. So, uh, you know, what we've come up with, of course, is a really magical product that where you just like a magic wand, you know, wave it around in front of a shelf or refrigerator or wherever you store inventory, and it instantly counts. And so uh, same sort of product market fit that, you know, really solves a lot of pain for people. You guys are literally creating magic then. We don't get to say that often, uh, except for next week when we have a magician on the... Po- no, I'm just kidding. But uh, congrats on that. I mean, I, I think a lot of people, you know, they sell their company to like a, a giant like Microsoft and it's like, all right, let's just, you know, retire, call it a day. Uh, what is it that's kept you kept going and kept your uh, kept your curiosity going in the world you're in? Well, one, I get bored really fast. I did try that little kind of séjour, and it was like, oh, okay, now, okay. And that's when I, actually, that's when I reconnected with Jonah, who uh, had started to look at some of the ideas that you see with Nomad Go. And I love technology, and so it was a great combination. And, and, and Jonah's grit and determination, you know, was clear to me that he would be a great partner in this journey that we've been on for now, I think, seven years. You, you, you lasted six months in retirement, right? I, I did. Yeah. Yeah. It was about six Shortly. months. Shortly. Oh, God, what do I do? That, that's pretty good. You, you almost got to seven, eight months there, a full year. That's a, We'll count it. But Jonah, well, you actually read my mind there because I, I was curious how you two connected in the first place. Like from your perspective, Jonah, who, who's this David guy? Like how, how did you first hear him? David, 10 years ago or so, started off as a, a neighbor who, uh, well, first as a neighbor and then a neighbor that was known for having uh, successfully started a couple different companies and the Softricity story. And I actually knew uh, David's kids growing up. I remember being in David's garage and he had a big Softricity sign up on the wall and he had articles up, you know, in frames about the Softricity days. So uh, about 10 years ago or so, when um, I started my entrepreneurial journey, which started with a college class project, uh, I actually looked to David for advice. So back then it was asking about things like uh, patents and how to build the early versions of the technology and getting those first customers. So that's how our relationship started out is David was a mentor and an advisor um, that progressed through the last couple of years of university, building the business. And then once I got out of school, uh, we we're kind of at a decision point on you know this business that's been built up. Are we gonna take it to be uh, the big thing? Are we gonna really do it? And that's when we joined forces full-time and became uh, co-founders. So match made in heaven, uh, match made in a neighborhood garage, pretty much. <laughs> in Kirkland, Washington. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> but I, I, I'm just gonna add one thing, because I know your, your your listeners are real, you know, they, they wanna understand how businesses are made. And I think, you know, Jonah referred to the patents and all that. And yes, of course, we've done all that work now. But, you know, my advice to him was like, forget about all that, right? Go find customers. And usually when people come to me and I say that, they're like really disappointed. They're like, no, 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 I want to build something. And it's like, that's cool that you want to build something. But 
go find customers. Go see if the pain is real and if people are willing to give you money. And usually, almost always, when I tell someone that, I never hear from them again. But Jonah came back like four weeks later with a couple customers. So I knew perfect partner. So let's nomad go find nomad go. That rolls off the tongue. (laughs) Let's get to the nomad go story. So you kind of alluded to it there a bit, but really, really cool technology. I know your story in, you know, the several years since you've started involves pivots It involves different types of technology. It involves different sectors. What was the the first proof you saw Jonah, like as you were talking about, you know, needing to find customers, needing to find, what was the first proof you saw that there might be a, a market for something in this, we'll just call it mystery space at this point that you're in? The genesis of Nomad Go is like you said, we went through several different pivots. It's been years in the making where we really started to pick up traction uh, was during our founding 2017. And we were actually doing customer service analytics. So we're still in the retail vertical. We're still in the restaurant vertical, which is what we operate in today. But we're really focused on the front of house experience, the guest experience. So how long do guests have to wait? Uh, When do they abandon because a line is too long? We built that business up, uh, started to feel that market pull in terms of repeatability, which showed itself pretty obviously. We had multiple different brands signing up. We were deploying to a good number of stores. In that business, though, there was something lacking, which was the, the pain that David was alluding to. This really obvious need. I need this product. It's mission critical. You know, at, at the time, it wasn't obvious to us. But due to the pandemic, that business got hit pretty hard because no one was dining in the front of restaurants. And at that time, we had a customer who brought us to the back of the house and said, you know, we know you're really experienced with computer vision. Uh, we know you know AI. Can you take that same technology and look at our stock, um, our inventory stock that's on the shelves, and can you measure that instead? I think that once we built that for that customer, seeing how the impact that that data had, uh, that's when I knew that we were really onto something with this current product that uh, that Nomad Go is today. It is mission critical in the sense of uh, if you don't do that right you don't have product to sell the next day. If you don't do that right, you have disappointed customers. If you don't do that right, you have waste and excess and uh, lost profits. We saw the pain with that one customer. We saw that pain with our second customer, the third customer, and then it was pretty obvious that we were onto something that's mission critical, very sticky, very important for the brands we work with. And for anybody who's not familiar with the term, can you give a quick background on what computer vision is besides maybe a a Marvel superhero? (laughs) Computer vision is essentially giving computers eyes to see as we see as humans. So this glass right here, a human eye can look at that and say, that's a glass of water. A AI model can be trained to see that same thing. So that when you point a camera at this, a computer can interpret it and say, that's a glass of water. It can do other things like say that's a half full glass of water. So that's what part of what our business is all about is being able to point a camera at inventory that's sitting on a shelf and interpret it faster and more accurate than uh, you know human eyes can do. The computer vision piece lets you recognize, oh, that's a that's a glass. 
but we also have other technologies running at the same time. The other key one is what we call spatial intelligence. And that is understanding the world in 3D. So it's not like just a 2D picture of that glass. If there were five glasses behind it, we have the ability to know that there are five glasses behind it. We see it in 3D. Think about how you might count a row of glasses. You're kind of doing that. You're looking in the world in 3D. That's what our technology does. So it recognizes, it counts, and then we use augmented reality to sort of place that number on that glass that says five and say it's a glass because one of our deep philosophies, and this is really the origin of our name, is that the human has to be in the loop with AI. Okay. You know, they, a lot of people, when they hear what we do, they go, oh, so you put cameras everywhere. No. <laughs> that now you have a second inventory problem. Your first one is counting your inventory. Your second one is counting all your, you know, your cameras and the power and the network. That never scales. It never has. This is all about taking commodity devices, iPhones and iPads, and having a human in the loop as they scan. So that's why we give them instant feedback. All of it, and this is a really key core technology we, we've done since the beginning, runs on that device so that we're not sending photos up to the cloud. We're not doing any of that. The only thing we send to the cloud is like the sum of what we've counted. That's it. So it's a very low bandwidth uh, requirement, which for our target market restaurants is like heaven sent because they don't have good bandwidth at those places. Before you explain that that was a, a glass of water, I actually thought it was vodka or gin. So I appreciate that before. And, and, I, and I'm not convinced. So, you know, you never know. But, <laughs> <laughs> it, you know, it, it's incredible technology. I mean, just as you were saying, like the the vision and identifying an object, you know, through AI is is cool enough and impressive enough as itself. Once you get to the fact of actually like counting, then you really get to, wow, this can save a ton of time, really speed things up from an efficiency from an efficiency standpoint, as efficient as saying that word correctly uh, <laughs> or saying correctly, correctly. But it just sounds like a, an unbelievable roller coaster in terms of the technology goes. What, what, what has been so far, and, and you don't, obviously you don't have to reveal any, you know, intellectual property or anything. What has been the biggest challenge in terms of getting the tech up to speed with what your your collective vision is with what you do, want to do with the company? In the early days of creating a product, you're trying to figure out what's repeatable, what's custom for each individual customer that you're working with, and then what can be extrapolated and spread to you know every brand in the restaurant industry or every brand in retail. I think that's been one challenge in the first couple of years, kind of sorting through that noise and trying to pick out the pieces that are the core differentiators that are applicable across everyone versus those things that are kind of one off here and there. You know, we're in the business of building a scalable company that's applicable to any restaurant, but also any vertical beyond restaurants. It could be logistics, warehouses, retail, what have you. So um, I think getting the technology to a place where it you know, you're building, you're building, you're building, and then it plateaus. And then once it plateaus, you're ready to spread it. Um, those are challenging early days to get at that point. Once you do, though, which is the phase that we're at now, uh, it feels really good because it means you can be very good at a handful of things versus uh, somewhat good across a wide area. So getting to that initial plateau of a stable, repeatable technology platform, I think that's been at yeah. least my sense of the biggest challenge today. And I, th I think from a business side that you, you could ask that same question because, you know, 
there's different degrees of benefits with this product. Like on one hand, you know, people are counting with their fingers, they're highly inaccurate, and they're really slow. So improving that is like, okay, very tangible. But you also learn when you talk to, I mean, we work with the largest companies in the world, right? So like what you hear from them is, yeah, that's good. But this has a ripple effect. It's kind of like the last mile of inventory has a ripple effect up and down the supply chain. So getting to understand how we impact the supply chain and, you know, all the initiatives that are done. There's, the IDC says there's like $3.4 billion invested in like innovations around the supply chain, right? Over 80% of CEOs say those initiatives are not working. And, they're all, and, and when asked why, the majority of them say it's because the data is no good. It's the garbage in, garbage out problem. As you build a business, you get to understand sort of what are the tactical benefits that you're providing, but also what are the strategic benefits you're, you know, you're providing so that the next customer you talk to, you can be a lot more educated about, you know, the impact of your product. And that's, that's like a burning question I have is that actual impact. So like, what do you think is like the greatest potential or, or benefit that Nomad Go can provide to a, a potential customer? Well, I think it's, I'll kind of try to tear it a little bit. Maybe you want to weigh in too, but like, I'm just going to start with one number, 45 minutes versus five minutes. Many of our customers, it takes 45 minutes to do inventory today. They usually do it once a day or, or you know, a couple times a week. And now they're doing it in less than five minutes. Here's another number, 80% versus 99% accuracy. So they've done the work. They know that only when people are counting with, you know, manually counting, they get about 80% accuracy. With us, they get 99% accuracy. The combination of the fact that they can do it much faster, which actually means they can do it more frequently, combined with the fact that they can trust the data, now has reverberations all the way up the supply chain. And the other thing we've discovered, again, this is through working with customers, right, is that it's not just about ordering either. Like, one of our customers, you know, has a daily prep, right? They prepare things and that ties to food waste. So if you over-prepare, you end up with food waste. If you want to prepare, you don't have, have that for your customer. So they use our, our data to actually help them with the prep list. One of our other customers, more in the retail space, has, you know, this issue of they sell their product, but the, the companies that, you know, the grocery stores they're in, they don't give them the sales data on a daily basis, by using our scans, they now have sales data on a daily basis. The same exact data can be used in so many different ways to help customers. And that, that's what we've found to be the real the clincher here. Oh, I like that. The clincher. The technology is super cool. And for anybody who's tuning into this, like check out the Nomad Go website because you have some demo videos that are like really put in perspective of how the how the, how the tech works. And it's just, it's mind blowing stuff on that tech note. When you're thinking about building a company and attracting new customers and growing and growing and growing, how much of your focus needs to stay on that? Like the tech side versus the, the more traditionally on the business or marketing or like other sides of things. I mean, David can weigh in on once the company gets more mature, <laughs> it gets to a softricity stage, but I think it's uh, incredibly important in the stage we're in, uh, where you have that product market fit, but you're still acquiring customers and scaling, growing. Uh, a good majority of the focus stays on the technology. You, you can't get complacent 
uh, you have to keep pushing the boundaries, especially at the pace of where things are moving today with AI and augmented reality and virtual reality. If you don't stay on top of those things, I think it's really easy to get left behind. For our customers, it's very important because the more we innovate on the technology side, um, the more verticals we can service, the more inventory we can count different types of scenarios and things like that. So uh, I, I think we try to maintain a healthy balance. Obviously, we're focused on acquiring new customers and servicing our existing customers. But at the end of the day, uh, we're a tech company. The more innovations we can do, it only helps our customer. Maybe that slows down as a company gets bigger. I don't know. Well, but... I, I, think we, I think you're right. That's who we are, right? Why are people buying us? Because we've built highly differentiated technology that really is a whole new category of counting, right? We call it spatial inventory. I mean, no one's doing it except for us. And to continue to be that innovator, the folks that have effectively invented the space, you cannot be complacent. So, of course, what does that mean? We bought an Apple Vision Pro last week and we're already trying to figure out how we're going to use it for inventory, right? Like, you've got to stay on top of it. So, that said, where we are, the other mistake a lot of startups do is they just rely on innovation and they forget that, you know, you need to think about marketing. You need to think about uh, establishing a sales force. You know, the if you build it, they will come idea is BS, right? It's not true. You, you, know, you know, at the end of the day, you still need to sell things. You need to market them. You know, we're, we're really doubling down on that investment as well, uh, you know, to make sure that we have a really healthy pipeline. We might have to do a whole separate segment on the Vision Pro as well. A little unboxing here, but it's fun. Well, yeah, let, let, let's stick there for a second. What What is your biggest takeaway from trying out the Vision Pro, you know, hot off the press like that? Uh, game changer. I don't know. It is, it, it, you step out of that experience and you're disappointed with the 2D world in front of you, 2D screens. <laughs> a, a boring life. <laughs> it's a boring life. Yeah. Um, no, it's, it's revolutionary. I mean, I think that there are um, use cases that still need to be ironed out for your average consumer to be able to justify, you know, getting one and using it daily versus just novelty use. For us as a business, though, it absolutely means more and more things being put into mixed reality and augmented reality, which is what we're all about. It means detaching our users' hands from a physical device so they can just freely look around and count things and speeding up their inventory count. It also represents advancements that we're going to see from people like Apple in terms of their their hardware, their iPads and their iPhones of what they can do, which we can build on top of. So for us as a business, we're super excited about it. Even if we're not going to have any customers putting on goggles in the next uh, year or so, we're absolutely planning for that to happen in uh, the years to come. Yeah. I mean, it really speaks to everything we've been talking about, right? Understanding the world in 3D. So it's just the perfect fit for us. But again, you know, we're still good with iPads and iPhones. Don't get me wrong. But eventually, <laughs> my impression is like a lot of people are like, oh, it's cool, but it's too expensive and it's kind of burdensome. And I think most people who say that haven't tried it. And if you try it more than an hour, you have to be in it like for five hours, you realize, oh, yeah, this is pretty, pretty seamless. You know, like I don't think it have, they have to do massive advances to get to the point where it could be pretty streamlined. And, and for those listening, we are all wearing Vision Pros right now. And, and it's, it's just been the best conversation now. But and I appreciate the little aside there. And speaking of tech, like if you're, if you're a really cool company in the tech space that's trying to, you know, disrupt 
industries that have been doing things the way they've been doing for for so long like you have to truly spearhead or trailblaze whatever term you want to use for that but like you you have to stay ahead of where the trends and where the tech is going for each of you how do you stay knowledgeable and also inspired in the space of tech innovation we'll call it you know you asked me about why i didn't retire it's the same thing you just have to have the passion it's just got to be there okay like you can't fake that and uh, jonah and i and other people in this company have the passion we're here yeah sure you know we wanted this to be super successful we're also here because we love the work day in day out because bottom line is when you are you know um trying to build a company from scratch you get a lot of no's no 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 it's partly because you're trying to figure out product market fit we talked about the pivots so it's like you gotta just love what you're doing believe in it even if you maybe you change your beliefs over time as as you hear from customers but it's like and part of that is just you gotta you know, if you're passionate, like we are, we love to check out the new technologies and then instantly go, how can that help us? How can, you know, chat GPT help us, right? Like, I mean, it's a fairly obvious thing. It's like, how how do we put that into our product? Because, you know, it's so powerful. So you just, you got to love it. That's what it comes down to. So there's a buzzword or technically two or three words, depending on how you view it. That's come up a lot in this interview, product market fit. And I think it's it's so important to to any business, but especially you know startups and companies in the tech space. David, from your experiences across multiple entrepreneurial vent- ventures, what what's some of the secret sauce be- behind getting to product market fit sooner rather than later? You've got to build enough so that people can try it, and that's hard because then you're like investing this time. You're kind of doing stuff on spec, really, and it's really hard. Like, like I mean, one of the things I've learned over time is you can show it to people, and they're going, "Wow, that's cool, that's great," but that usually isn't good enough. Like the the moment is, okay, great. Will you sign this contract and give us, you know, X thousand dollars to do it? You know, that's when the rubber hits the road, and it's kind of hard to get to that if you don't have a product, right? So you serve in this middle state and my view on it is try to get the idea enough along people will buy into it if you just explain it to them you know and just show them a few things and then you can hear from them if they really want it but i will say like even if that's true sometimes then they sign and then you do it and then eh, it's like yeah this was good but it wasn't great it it, it is it's it's a really hard thing to explain but boy when when you get there though it's like the I like to think of like the, you know, the smoke clears and you just see everything totally clearly. And at that point, then you're ready to roll. And then you have to be ready to shift your gears and start building, start scaling, you know, and and really go. But do it at the right time so you're not wasting money. And do you have any tips for doing that? Like, let's say the smoke is cleared. You see your, pun intended, your vision is coming to life. Your product market fit has come to life. What are some of the best ways to scale that seems to work or, or seems to be effective no matter what sort of industry you're in? Hire really smart people. I mean, honestly, that's your best way to scale. It can't hurt. <laughs> and hire people. Here's the problem. Sometimes people go, oh, I'm ready to scale. I'm going to go hire a top executive from, you know, you name a, one of the, the large companies in the world. That sometimes works, but I think a lot of times doesn't work. You need someone who knows how to get beat up and knows how to get a lot of no's and knows how to be able to go in there and be convincing, even if the customer has never heard your name before. 
you need people who are kind of street smart, but are also, you know, enterprise smart if you're selling to large companies. And so it's a, it's a mix. And those are hard people to find, but you need to just find really smart people to help you scale. You know, the other piece is when you get that customer, do everything that is possible to make them happy and build their trust. Trust is what it's all about. Because if you build their trust, you can still stumble a little and they'll work with you on that. They're like, I get it. Hey, we all maybe we were too ambitious for this or that. But if you have their trust and you're 100% responsive and you're always there, that's how you win. I, I learned that in Softricity. Are you brave enough to trust me to deliver the worst pun you've heard each week to your inbox every Thursday? Then the Podcasting to the Max newsletter is the place for that. Of course, you'll also get podcasting tips and entrepreneurs and entrepreneurship tips. And maybe, just maybe, I'll be able to pronounce entrepreneurship one day. You can sign up at maxpodcasting.com slash newsletter and you'll get things from all of those worlds. And, and yes, the worst pun of the week you'll probably see. Now, let's continue talking about trust issues. So I trust that you're both up for the challenge for rapid fire Q&A. You ready for it? You bet. All right, let's wrap up some rapid fire Q&A. Uh, so some of the, there's going to be a mix. Some of these are for both of you and then some are catered to each of you. So a little, a little mystery, uh, mystery box here. But this first one's for you, David. While you did not have the longest retirement in history, mm-hmm. what's an activity or hobby that you got into in that six-month retirement that was your favorite part? Uh, songwriting. Oh, what? Okay, now well, now I have another one. What, what, what type? Like what genre or style of songs? Okay, oh, I don't know. It's kind of a mix between like folk and jazz or something. Still do I eat? I still do it on the side to keep, balance my life a little bit. Jazzy folk. I dig it. All right, this one I want to hear both your perspectives. How would you describe going into full time business with your mentor or mentee? Necessary. <laughs> Uh, having having a co-founder and especially a co-founder that's experienced. I mean, you need someone to keep you sane. You have good weeks, you have bad weeks, you have to balance each other out. So I could not imagine starting a business. Well, one at the age I did without someone who was experienced, who kind of, you know, paved the way, but also without a co-founder in general, Uh, you got to have someone else to ride the highs and lows with you. So necessary. Yeah. Ditto. But you need a really good co-founder, but let me be clear. (laughs) Who can, who can endure the ups and downs. That's an incredible word, necessary. It just needs to happen, like so many things in business. All right, Jonah, I know you went to Washington State. Am I recalling this right? Do people call it Wazoo, or did I make that up? Yeah, Wazoo. Okay, cool. All right, we will not need to edit that out. That's a win, win for Max. Um, the Apple Cup. I know it's a crazy time for Pac-12 and the future of Pac-12, but just historically... The Apple Cup. What's an Apple Cup tradition maybe on campus that people from different parts of the country might not know about? Uh, having fun while losing is probably the best one. <laughs> that, that was not the point of that question, but okay. Oh, okay. <laughs> I know. No, that's a that's tradition funny. people might not know about, uh, especially at Wazoo. Uh, despite <laughs> uh, history of losses and it's whatever, 100-year history, we have a tradition of still making the best of it year after year. Very good at that. Awesome. I went, well, I went to Indiana University and historically 
football, uh, it's the same sort of thing where we're known more for the tailgates than the actual games. But basketball is a rich history, but not right now. But we don't need to get into that. Thanks for bringing it up. Last one. Uh, this is for each of you. How ingrained in the the city of Kirkland is Costco? <laughs> well, it, I don't know if this is true. Okay. But I thought I heard that, that the one that is in, in Kirkland, Costco, is the original Costco. But I don't know. Is that true? You heard that it is? Yeah. I heard that it wasn't. Oh, it wasn't? Okay. So we don't know the origin story. But I do know the story about how they came up with the Kirkland brand. They originally had like 20 different brands with their white labels. And then I guess when they paid millions of dollars to these consultants to like come up with different names. And then somebody inside the company said, oh, let's just all call it Kirkland. Kirkland signature. So that's why it's Kirkland. Yeah. Oh. But I will say Kirkland, Washington is a great place to live. It is a, a terrific place to live with on the waterfront. It's just, it's awesome. We love it. It seems awesome. Or, or wasm. I, I, the, the reason I asked that question was because I saw that you're both based out of Kirkland. And of course, obviously the consultants did something right because I immediately thought, oh, I wonder if that has anything to do with Costco. And sure enough, yeah, there's the history there. So there's, there's our fun fact uh, Costco segment of the day. So <laughs> David, Jonah, thank you both so much. This has been an absolute blast. Just endlessly fascinated and super excited to keep in touch with what you're doing with Nomad Go. Where is the best place for people to learn more about Nomad Go as well as just individually, if anybody wants to connect with either of you online? Nomadgo.com. Really simple. And like you pointed out, you know, it's so hard to do kind of a podcast when we're talking about this, because what we do, the best part about it is, you know, to see it working. And I know people go and they go on our site and they go, oh, that demo uh, probably isn't really like that. It really is like what we're showing on the website. It really works that fast and that cool. That's a great place to go. And there we have our contact information there. We have, you know, obviously you can see us on LinkedIn, connect with us. We'd love that. And I can totally vouch for that. I second that. It's it's watching magic unfold before your eyes when you see your project, your, your project, your product in action. Uh, once again, I cannot talk, but... Last thing here, final thoughts, stage is yours. Uh, whoever wants it can jump at it, but just send us home here with just like a one line, words to live by, a little entrepreneurial advice, whatever you want, send us home here. Mine would be keep going. You know, a lot of times over the history of the company it would have been pretty easy to turn around, pack up shop, but I think the persistence always got us to the next milestone. And the, the longer you can keep going at it, uh, your your odds improve and you're you're more likely to have a breakthrough. So yeah. keep going. I would add to your persistence, patience, because, you know, customers are going to take longer than you think. Investors are going to take longer than you think. Technology is going to take longer than you think. And so you need to combine Jonah's persistence with my patience, so patience. and that's how you win. Persistence, it is. Thank you so much, David and Jonah, for coming on the stove. The, the sto. Come on the stove, thanks. For coming on the podcast, sharing your incredible Nomad Go story and beyond. And thank you, wild listeners, for tuning in to another episode. If you want to hear more stoves like this one, make sure to follow the Wild Business Growth Podcast on your favorite podcast app and tell a friend about the podcast. And go try out Nomad Go with them. You know where to find them. You can also find us on Good Pods, where there are good, good podcasts and podcast recommendations and people. And for any help with podcast production, you can learn more at maxpodcasting.com.
and sign up for the Podcasting to the Max newsletter. That is at maxpodcasting.com slash newsletter. Until next time, let your business run wild. Bring on the bongos! Bongos!